right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Josh. Hello, hello everyone. Marcelo. Hello everyone. And we're joined once again by Ken Drew from Taboo Topic. Hola. How's it going, everybody? Good to have everybody here. It's nice to have four people, like four screens, two weeks in a row. That's pretty... Go, go us! All right, well, today, uh, if you didn't catch it from the title, we're going to be talking about the Great Reset. Conspiracy theory or terrifying truth? Somewhere in between. That's what we're here to discuss. And before we do that, I'll turn it over to Josh to talk about our social medias, where you need to follow us. Yeah, you need to follow us on all of our social media so you can catch up announcements of when we do go live like we have today and to keep up of when we post short sound bites and clips of maybe you see an episode and maybe the title doesn't stand out to you. But listen to that soundbite that Ryan's been working so hard to get up on our Instagram and TikTok and different social media. He's done a lot of great work over there of promoting content in that way. So there's a lot of great stuff in there that's even a short snippet because I even understand like I watch like uh, a lot of podcasts myself and sometimes, you know, I'm not down to watch a whole hour of the podcast and, you know and some of the bigger podcasts that you know I watch they have a whole editing team and they cut like the 15 minute segments they have and upload it on a whole channel but we're not that so <laughs> you can find a lot of content of where what work Ryan does do like that for us and find it there find out announcements find out when we do upload non-live episodes so Instagram Facebook Twitter YouTube TikTok you can find us all there just search between the liars you'll see our logo yeah. And uh, before I go into a brand new thing that I, I'm excited to share with you guys, I do want you guys to know where you can find one of our co-hosts, Ken. Uh, where can they find you and what can they expect from your show? So you can find me on Instagram, Kenjin underscore express, spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word. And you also follow me on Facebook, just type in Taboo Topic, look for the logo that says honesty equals understanding. And more or less, I'm a commentator for social and political discourse, if you will. Ryan has been on my show several times on Wednesdays, like Ryan just showed up past Wednesday and actually talked about the Great Reset, ironically enough. Uh, but on that particular episode, we talk about a specific topic and I scrutinize it, kind of go over the sentiments or opinions or stories that are taboo, kind of the name itself of the show, Taboo Topic. And then on Fridays, I do a weekend review edition where I go over three to four stories or current events and I do general synopsis, do a, also an initial reaction and then afterwards, have a discussion afterwards. Always a good time. And it's nice <laughs> to kind of have this back and forth with our, our podcast. Ken's basically become <laughs> a regular for us. But uh, what I'm sharing here on my screen right now is on our website. We've got three tiers of memberships if you'd like to help support the show and get something out of it. So uh, named after our hot takes. So if you want to be a cold takes member, it's a dollar a month. And that pretty much just helps uh, keep us energized, keeps the show running so that you know we can keep our live streams going you can do the medium takes level three dollars a month and with that you actually gain access to our discord channel we do have an ultra secret discord channel for us and our members and uh, basically that just lets you propose topics to us and go through and uh, you know just chat with us about stuff and maybe you want to talk to us about something after the show or before the show that kind of gives you that access there and then the ultra spicy takes level the hottest of hot takes five dollars a month you get access to everything from the tier above this but in addition to that you actually get our backstage stage live, uh, which shout out to Angela, who was the first person to sign up for that. And she did join us for the pre-show segment. What happens there is you basically get on our video portion of the Discord channel and you'll be able to just kind of hang out as a fly on the wall before and after for 30 minutes as we, you know, either madly scramble to get set up for the show.
show uh, or, uh, you know, maybe we were prepared and so we just kind of chat. But that gives you an opportunity to kind of chat with us. So if you're interested in those, if you go to the little link tree in any of our socials and our bios, you'd be able to see uh, the buy me a coffee. And that's what that's done through. If you go to our website, those little links under each one of those will take you right there. So without further ado then, uh, Marcelo, they got some new music from a good friend of ours that they should be checking out, don't they? That's exactly right. So we have, as always, our new music, our soundtrack is courtesy of Andrew Hensley over at Secret Spike Studio, X65 Audio. And his new single is titled Misty, and it's available now on all major streaming platforms. So please, please, please check it out. Again, if you're lazy like me, it's in the link tree. <laughs> Easy drop down right there. If you like lo-fi, kind of like uh, jazz, study music, it's really good for that. All right, so without further ado, then what is the great reset? We're going to be focusing on the things that are true and coming out. It's been labeled a conspiracy theory. And at the end of this, you'll judge for yourself. Is this conspiracy theory or not? So, uh, Ken, I'm going to give it to you to talk about some of the key tenets that we're seeing here. And then I think uh, we'll just kind of open it up to the group after that. Uh, sure. So there's two components of the Great Reset. There's the economic reset and then there's the societal aspect. Now, the economic, there's an actual manifesto where you can find it actual in the World Economic Forum on a website by itself. So this is publicly available information. And the World Economic Forum actually started off as the European Management Forum back in the 1970s, founded by Klaus Schwab, and then didn't rebrand itself until to the World Economic Forum until 1987. And then 2015, it became recognized as an international business organization. So uh, the manifesto itself, first point from the manifesto states, a company serves its customers by providing a value proposition that best meets their needs. It accepts and supports fair competition in a level playing field. It has zero tolerance for corruption. It keeps the digital ecosystem, which it operates, reliable and trustworthy. It makes customers fully aware of the functionality of its products and services, including adverse implications or negative externalities. And let me backtrack real quick. The purpose of the manifesto for companies per the World Economic Forum website it states to engage all of its stakeholders and shared and sustained value creation. In creating such value, a company serves not only its shareholders, but all its stakeholders, employees, customers, suppliers, local communities, and society at large. The best way to understand and harmonize the divergent interests of all stakeholders is through a shared commitment to policies and decisions that strengthen the long-term prosperity of a company. So why don't we start there then with the difference between shareholder and stakeholder capitalism. So for those who might not be aware, shareholder capitalism is a lot closer to what we have in the U.S. right now. It focuses on, you know, the decisions that are made for a company in essence should be geared towards benefiting the people primarily who have created the company. And when that's your primary objective, then the idea then is that the good decisions that they make in an effort to make a profit wind up trickling down to the consumers. So one of these would be kind of the concept of a free market, right? If I have a good enough idea and I can get people on board with it, I, of course, benefit and I make money. That's my primary objective. But when I'm competing with other people, I'm trying to lower my prices and I'm also trying to make sure that my product is competitive so that it remains desirable. But ultimately... I'm gearing my decisions towards the shareholders. Now, stakeholder capitalism and what Klaus Schwab is talking about here is this idea that we are all interconnected. So no company exists in a vacuum. No behavior that someone does exists in a vacuum, which is why you start seeing them talking about things like economic decisions should be made in relation to everyone and everything, whether that be uh, such as like, how can we be more green so that, you know, when, when one person pollutes, 
it influences the world that everybody lives in. That's what the stakeholder capitalism perspective focuses on. Now, what do you guys think about that? There's also a part of the world economics form that believes that the kind of even the idea that the national governments are the sole kind of deciding factor and influencing factor of the world stage is something that's uh, even come to an end. This is something that also, like we'll say, of like there, you know, there's now like this more mutual balance of a uh, public private that they push for. And I think that's like some of the parts that can be read as more concerning as people push for companies to have more and more autonomy free from social restrictions. But, you know, in this idea of like a stakeholder economy, you can read a more positive message message into it because you can, you know, look at the, you know, the global world and say, okay, we are realistically only using, you know, around and maybe not even a billion of the, you know, human population to our full technological capacity. And there are, you know, for most of the world, the full prowess of what our technology and our medicine and our engineering is capable of isn't working in their lives. And so we could overall boost global production and boost resource output, food output, medical output, research output at a significant level if we could uplift most of these populations that have not had the development in a cultural sense, but in like in this like economic industrialization. And doing so in developing green energy that can maybe bypass the harmful stages of the industrial revolution that China is kind of going through now with how much coal they're burning and America is trying to get itself out of. So like a, a green energy and infrastructure grid focused that lifts the whole world could realistically be a boon for everyone because even from a very narcissistic ego position, you could ask yourself, why do I want 5 billion people not contributing to what could otherwise be the global advancement? How much faster could we push technology forward if we utilize those? So even if you want to take it a really like narcissistic, egotistical, I only think of myself way, 5 billion more people working at the production level of the fully industrialized, maybe a greener future could provide a lot of global benefits. So I think there's like a lot of concern in how they phrase things with the public-private, but I think there is this underlying principle of we're not utilizing the full capacity of humans from an economic sense, and that's a very cold sense, and that removes the human humanitarian crises that these people exist in. You know, there's this mixed positive, you know, negative, I think, for it. I mean, Josh, to me, you hit on kind of one of my main concerns, and that is the language of, you know, the, the public and the private kind of intermixing a lot of more of the government intervention. I'm curious, Marcelo, uh, does this concern you? Do you have things that you think are in favor of it? Uh, first of all, a quick disclaimer on my end. Uh, I have worked in companies, organizations that have worked with the World Economic Forum. So all of these uh, is basically just me. People who work there are lovely. I'll say that. Um, that said, I think we're reading the situation, and, and I think this will come into play later. We're reading the situation in two very different ways, because when you talk about the private and the public coming together, you're worried about the public influencing all of this more. And I think on our side, we're more worried about the private stuff coming into play. Well, it is nice that, and, and I think you can read this very charitably, right? You can say like, okay, companies are realizing that there's actually people who buy their products, so they should probably be nice to these people. 
I think that the fact is that they're trying to, with this action and with this emphasis on trying to satisfy everyone, they are trying to basically convince the governments that they're good actors, right? That they're fair actors and they're going to be okay if you just give them more power. And that way, I guess we would disagree. I'm worried about all of these companies becoming so big and so powerful that they can take over a lot of the areas in our lives. And that's already happened pretty much. Uh, Ken, your thoughts on this? I mean, my thoughts on the points itself, it really pushes the equal outcome with this agenda, uh, especially whenever it talks about the shareholders and making the distinction between state capitalism and shareholder capitalism. It almost lumps all the capitalisms into one. So I don't know. I agree with Marcelo that depending on what side you're on. If you're on Marcelo's side and Josh's side, you're going to be more concerned about the companies getting too big and having too much influence over society. Kind of like there's a lot of conversation right now about big tech, for example, right? So we have concerns about that, big corporations. But then on our side, we're going to be more concerned about the government getting too big. But I do think, though, with this manifesto in particular, it's trying to go for this more trying to combine both the corporate and government together kind of into this weird hybrid communist state, it sounds like, at least from how I interpret it. So kind of what China's doing right now, where they have certain aspects of the free market open, but there's other aspects where they do implement that socialism, communism uh, principles in there, where, yes, you have freedom to do certain things in the economy and your company has certain freedoms, but only as long as the state approves it, which, again, goes back to Marcelo's point. If you're on Ryan's side, we're going to be more concerned about that in particular. I do want to take a quick opportunity here. If you want to hear the very lengthy conversation that Ken and I had, that will be available to you probably starting early next week on our channel. And I will link that in the descriptions on these videos. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it'll be linked there. And if you're listening to this as the audio only on our podcast platforms, then that will also be available there. And what I do want to do, we've got a few clips. We're trying to be a little bit more fancy. So I want to play these clips and then also give us an opportunity to discuss them because a lot of the claims of like, quote unquote, debunking the concept of the great reason said or the is they, they say that it's too conspiratorial i want to focus on what are they actually doing here so let's play this first clip and this is from schwab himself this was back in 2017 and i have to say um when i mention now names like this merkel uh, even uh, vladimir putin and so on they all have been young global leaders of the world economic forum but um, what we are very proud of now is a young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy right. form. And that's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm-hmm. I'm here with the president with a young global leader. This is giving me flashbacks to a couple of weeks ago or maybe last week where this clip you're talking about, I mean, they're talking about how they know everyone in government. It, it makes sense because companies had, can do a lot of lobbying. I'm sure a lot of people in our Congress are very familiar with a lot of defense companies, a lot of contractors. And, and so likewise here, they're saying that they know the governments very well. 
obviously that's a problem. Why are you worried about the government here and you're not worried about the companies that have so much power that they're able to do this? Like that's, I guess that's my biggest question because when you look at this, yeah, sure, the government is a problem because they have the power that they can wield and they can do all of these changes. But the fact is that private companies have all of this influence because of the way the system is set up. That's why they're able to do all the lobbying and that's where they're able to infiltrate a quote unquote all like these areas. So again, you know, I'm tracing it back to the companies. Yeah. And for me, that's an easy answer. And you did touch on it, Marcelo. It's the fact that their companies are not the ones crafting legislation. And I mean, anyone who's listened to the show for any amount of time knows that I'm not in favor of big government. Now, Marcelo, what you pointed out is absolutely true. And I'm not solely leveling my issues at big government. Bears the brunt of it. But it's not. And you meant you did touch on this. And this is a fair point. It's the concept of lobbying. Of course, these companies have have the money to be able to do that. And of course, we do see, especially in today's technologically driven age, the world is is more and more interconnected. Now, what concerns me is when we're starting to have these arguments for interconnected economies that are very much a centralized power, a centralized hierarchy that are less spread out in a capitalistic structure that is supposed to give more opportunity for small businesses. And of course, you do point out the issues with the large corporations. It gives more opportunities for small businesses to exist. Now, what concerns me is, and we'll get to this a little bit later on, but a lot of their uh, proposed legislative or ideas that will eventually lead to legislation lets the government be the arbiter of truth. That is the key issue for me there. I'm going to let Josh go right now because on the issue of companies not being able to enact laws, so lobbying is your counter answer there because government obviously has a lot of influence, but behind government, there's a bunch of people who have a lot of money who can pay people even right now, including fossil fuel companies who are paying people to enact or to reject laws that would constrain them. So private companies are influencing. You don't see Exxon signing the bill, but you see all of the people who were paid off by Exxon. Topics like this always run an interesting line because the answer of are there large government organizations and private and business organizations that are working together in conspiracy to reduce the quality of life for your everyday person? And the answer to that is absolutely, undoubtedly, yes. You can look at the growing wealth disparity that that's going on. You can see return to you know wealth disparity that's happening since the you know that really hasn't happened since the Gilded Era. You can see company profits are going up. The stock market is going up. Our wages are not going up. Inflation is going up, but our wages are not going up. But stock prices are going up. Oil has now fallen back down from below a hundred dollars a barrel again, but it's still four dollars at the gas station. And Shell's profit last year is up fifty six percent from the year before, even though the whole crisis about the gas prices going on, even though there's untapped oil wells in America that we could drill right now if we actually needed the oil and increase our production here and lower the prices if they wanted to. But they don't because they make more money when you buy gas for $4 a gallon than when you buy it for $3 a gallon. But Josh, I have to ask, who signed the executive order that prevents them from drilling in the United States? Oh, no. like So this actually, this played out in a press conference with Jen, uh, I forget, uh, 
Polanski, I forget um, her last name. The, 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 the current White, uh, Biden's White House press secretary. Jen Psaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she played it out. Um, and there are open, available mine fields that they can mine that they have authorization and contracts to mine that the U.S. domestic companies are not taking care of. And because that was her response to the reporter of, there are contracts signed by the federal government that these companies can go and mine should they feel like it. But they don't. And even globally, the fact that the price of oil is down and the gas pump price hasn't gone gone down. It is a very explicit sign of how these companies are going on. But one of the fundamental problems that has always played out in, in society is that when there's this generalized angst that is being caused by a particular group of class of people, and throughout most of history, it's often a lot of the more powerful and rich people, they'll usually find a way to scapegoat the blame out onto someone else or something else and try to negate away criticism of the current system or of the current way of being and saying it's all of their fault. This played out several times throughout history because even just a lot of like the current conspiracies that go on and happen have questionable historical roots. And a lot of the times they use the angst and economic disparity and hardship that a lot of people feel and they weaponize it into religious or racial, you know, discrimination rather than understanding of like, we were better when we unite together on the basis of our material and class conditions. So I don't want us to go too far off into the because we can have a whole debate over oil. I think it is important to note that Joe Biden did sign uh, executive orders that allowed the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to enact new restrictions on drilling in the United States. In order for them to do that and reset that, they have to gradually, in a domino effect style, shut them down and build them back up. That automatically restricts the flow. And when you restrict the available resources, then of course, that's going to build it up. So my point here is a lot of Joe Biden's legislation here and executive decisions have directly limited and harmed our access to gas. I do want to let Ken kind of chime in on this, though, too. Well, maybe it's because I've been watching too much Harry Potter lately, but when I was listening to Klaus Schwab speak, I was just getting Voldemort vibes, and I was watching there, there were scenes in the movie where it talked about Voldemort and his uh, Dark Eaters infiltrating the Ministry of Magic the way Klaus Schwab was describing. But I think there's actual merit to what both Josh and Marcelo was talking about as far as corporations are, will use their power and influence these government officials to pass legislation that they want to pass. And I think really, for me in particular, it really boils down to this agenda in particular is more like the global elite will benefit the most. The global elite will be the politicians and the corporations who partner up with these government officials because the government officials, I mean, I don't want to get too into conspiratorial part, but there could be dark money involved as well where they're getting paid behind closed doors. And that should be concerning to anybody, which again, kind of gets back into really the aspect that in this particular situation, which Josh, I mean, when you're talking about the situation with the oil, for example, I got chills because I agree with you 100% what you're talking about. Like we have, uh, we could do steps right here that would actually help the working class to help with the gas prices. But instead, we refuse to go ahead and open up the oil reserves here that we have on our national soil. It's just a matter of, who do you think is influencing that? Is Joe Biden himself that's deciding like, eh, no, we're not going to open up the oil reserves? Or is there a bigger voice out there that's telling or influencing our public officials to not open up the oil reserves here to go ahead and pursue this uh, reset? So, and maybe that's what Klaus Schwab was talking about as far as like infiltrating the 
government across the governments across the world. I want to just put a pause uh, to the oil conversation and say that we really do need an episode on energy independence because there's a lot to talk about here. I agree. Um, and as a true pause, I will not say anything in response. I'll just leave it there. I want to bring it back <laughs> to the, the, the idea of, and I've, I've already said this, is that when government messes up, you know, when government passes laws that are like in, in infringing on human rights or they just like government does a bad thing, right? I feel like most of us come together and, and, and say, like, government, why did you do that? That's bad. Did not do that. When companies do the same, when companies mess up and they mess up a lot and constantly, like, I have yet to see a very unified response in, like, companies being bad and companies hurting all of these people. Because if companies are large enough, and there's several companies that are large enough in this, in the, you know, in this country and in the rest of the world, that they have the unified power of bigger than a country, you know, when they control uh, food resources, when they control production, when they control jobs, they can wield so much power as to... You know, maybe we can bring back uh, the banana farms and like the banana republics where like companies were so powerful that government couldn't even, couldn't even do anything. So what I'm trying to say here is that holding companies accountable should come as often, if not more often than trying to hold government accountable. I, I can agree with that, Marcelo. I do, um, because we're seeing even companies deciding what they want even without the government. And one of the things we're going to talk about here is central bank digital currency. And this kind of mirrors a little bit the social credit score that we see in China today. And there are certain corporations that are saying, you know what, this would be a great idea. You know, why not allow employers then or companies or corporations to limit where people can spend their money? And if the companies are doing that, even if the government's not, that's a great example, I think, of it's still, in my opinion, the elites at that point, because it's people with power who are making decisions. So, I, I mean, I can agree with you, Marcelo, that it's not just the politicians. Where I see the issue with politicians today is they're trying to pass legislation that moves us towards equity, but in reality winds up creating more restrictions and more problems in their attempt to do so. So what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do about this? Because government is a problem, obviously. Sure, whatever. Companies are a problem. And then companies infiltrate government and government passes laws that are good for the companies. You know, uh, that happens. That's happening so right now. I think because we have the free market in particular, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why these companies got so big is because we let them get that big to begin with. I mean, we give them our dollars when we buy their products or services. And so to an extent, we do have the free will to like put it our money where our mouth is and we don't want to put money towards uh, a specific company in particular we don't have to put that money away now granted is facebook going to miss out on my ten dollars if i don't use their product anymore not the not that facebook charges they get the idea like they're not going to re be really missing out much but i think a part of it is that we kind of did allow these companies to get this big to have this much influence and and now we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot if you think about it as a result of that which I mean, that's the beauty and curse of capitalism, free will, where capitalism is only as good as the moral compass of the people and the people running these companies and everything like that. And unfortunately, greed will eventually take hold. And in the Christian worldview anyway, the love of money is the root of all evil. So, I mean, I think that's one possible solution, but you would have to like get so many people, you would have to get a lot of people on board to start saying no more to companies like Amazon. We'll use another uh, source or company to get our products to be delivered and et cetera. 
but and so that would be really hard especially like on a global scale nonetheless ryan i need my intro oh uh oh i don't know that i actually have it on here hold on the, the, the day that we talk about socials, I don't have it. Sorry, Josh. In the meantime, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that I'm, I'm very happy to see a call for uh, organized community, like grassroots efforts to basically stop buying from companies, uh, which, you know, I think it's it's a little unfeasible when you're talking about really big companies. But obviously, in a perfect world, we could just all band together and, you know, make Amazon go broke, which is probably not going to happen. Josh. I would say there's been a lot of interesting research of how people consider human nature and how we enforce it and the idea of legislating morality and how systems of government ought to work. And what you what research I've seen for the most part indicates that people tend to have their system of political belief and that rather informs their position of human nature more so than their opinion of human nature informs their political leanings. So how you feel about politics will for the most part predict how you perceive human nature even more so than religion does curiously so it's always very interesting because we can always recognize like there's this part of existing for i think any biological creature of self-interest of self-care care for the family but it's always stuck out interesting you know to me that when we think about systems of government we have designed a system that's like okay greed will take in and greed is is very bad so we design a system that promotes you to be as greedy as deceitful as dishonest as tax evading as undercutting as monopolistic as ruthless to your competition as possible and we say, I found it. <laughs> this is the way we ought to organize, you know, our society. And, you know, we just have to give in to the idea that humans are greedy. And even if you just, you know, from a, like talking about the, like an idea of like a cultural shift and organizing people and developing mass resistance to buying from certain corporations and, decon- you know, resisting government institutions, then maybe one of the real fundamental problems we have is the system we're always trying to promote reinforces some of the worst parts of humanity instead of actively trying to combat them through our system of social, political, and economic organization. Greed exists in humanity. It's a bad thing. It's always stuck out weird to me that we develop systems to encourage and play off of it and promote, if not reward people for their ruthless greediness. And if we could aim towards a government and a politics that built around the idea of pushing people towards like more compassionate like leanings and understandings, then maybe we could actually try to see that societal shift and greediness that has ended in lobbying and the bribing of politicians and the corporations literally walking up to a politician and handing them a piece of legislation and the politician just passes it, especially in the state houses. Capitalism as a system of greed to organize us only makes a feedback loop of that and does nothing in of itself to actually resist the greed that humans feel. So here's where I want to say that we agree and then where I think we deviate. We agree that these problems exist, right? That greed is an issue that is there. We agree that corporations and also the politicians are large contributing factors to that, if not the sole ones, right? But like that is kind of where our ire is. I focus more on the on the government portion. Marcelo and Josh seem to focus more on the corporations, but it's both there. And I think we can agree that both of these factor into that. Here's where I think we disagree. And this is where kind of the more the World Economic Forum idea goes to and where the more socialistic aspect goes to. The answer in the words of people who are in favor, uh, kind of more down the road that Josh is talking about, are assuming that 
capitalism is the problem, not the issues themselves. Now, I, I think that the greed is, is the problem in capitalism. And when it's run unchecked, we see all the issues Josh mentioned. So my answer then, and this kind of goes back to, I think what Marcelo's question is, what do we do about this? It's not throw it out. It's not go down the road that the World Economic Forum is talking about. It is instead we either create or we enforce the laws that are already there. Like politicians are not supposed to be taking bribes. If they're taking those, that's a failure of enforcement. Uh, there's no reason that politicians who are making, well, apparently now like $207,000 a year, thanks to their self-raise as of two weeks ago, uh, that they're multimillionaires because of where they're trading and the kickbacks that they're getting. We need to cut back on that. I don't think that the answer is let the politicians we put into power move us over into something in the name of equity. And, and this ties into the idea of central banking digital currency that, for the record, President Biden just signed an executive order on March 9th that was going to allow us to explore this idea of centralized banking, which basically says the Fed, appointed by the president, gets to have more and more restrictions over the economy. You want to talk about inflation? You want to talk about other things like that? It's when the government gets involved that it gets worse. And unlike cryptocurrencies, where it's decentralized, meaning there is no federal oversight of any nation, that's, that is the appeal there, one of them anyway, this would allow digital currency that is controlled by the government. And what they're saying here is that this money should be programmable. So what our elected president signed an executive order to explore is digital currency that people are stating, including the World Economic Forum and some of our other leaders, should be programmable. And what they mean by that is they get to control what my dollars can go towards. And this mirrors China's system where they get to control where your money goes. And that's one of the things that the World Economic Forum talks about. And it's one of the things that President Biden has signed an executive order to explore into is, is the, the federal oversight there. And what it allows them to do is it can be it could be a government or it could be a corporation it gets to decide where you spend your money. And it just will not transact. Your card will not work if they don't want it to. If this goes to the ultimate area that they've talked about, if they got their way. So to me, again, the problem is not that the issues exist in society and we can't fix them, therefore we must go over. The issue is giving these same people we agree are corrupt more power to move us somewhere under the guise of equity. I mean, I'm not sure that's really under the guise of equity. I mean, I think that's just like part of the gig. I mean, if the banks don't like you and you make enough of your creditors mad, they put an injunction in your account and tell you what you can and cannot spend. If the government orders a bank to freeze your bank account, they will. You already kind of even can't buy some things with money by the government making things illegal. Like you subvert and hide and you get through the law, but it is only because of the very physical nature of the transaction of your physical money for whatever illegal good you're buying that that is possible. You don't go buy illicit stuff with your debit card that you use at Walmart. Like it's just not what you do. You go to an idiot, you know, you go get cash and then you go spend like the money because you don't want to leave a digital record for this very reason that already exists. So if anything, it's kind of just this future push away. And at the end of the day, you know, that will be 30, 20 year, years from now, the idea of like physical cash will be very much something of, of the past. And the government will regulate and try to establish and basically, you know, imagine sanctioning a business. It's no longer that the store has to take this product off a shelf. It's just the transaction, you know, whatever it happens to be, coin, card, whatever, won't process. If anything, this is just a more, a more of a concern of why authoritarian systems coming from market systems or government systems are always going to end for 
very badly for your common people. Well, I'm sorry, but I find it very difficult to truly believe politicians who are pitching these ideas of we're going to reduce corruption when they're the people that we're saying are corrupt. Like if it's the corporations and the politicians who are moving us towards the Great Reset, who are moving us towards more centralized units of power, who benefits? Of course they do. Like I just, I, I do not believe them that we're going to see some of the things that are in the manifesto, like uh, we'll have the ability to stand up to corruption. There'll be, you know, more of a, more equity. I, I just, I don't believe that that's going to be the case when they can't do that now. The answer is not nor will it ever be? Give them more power so they can do it. I mean, Josh, what you were talking about a second ago uh, with the banks freezing your accounts, we saw that happen in uh, in Canada with the with the protests. So when people who had donated to the protests, the banks freeze their accounts by the government order without a warrant. There was no due process there. And that should be terrifying to people that the government was allowed to do that. And as we move towards digital currency like that, like I mean, I'm not saying that all digital currency is bad, nor should am I saying we should stay away from it. What I'm saying is what we need to watch out for is where the government intervenes and what they can do. Do you really, it starts with the, with the claim, well, we just need a healthier society. And then it moves into, well, you just can't buy that because the government doesn't think it's healthy. That, that's what I'm saying is the terrifying part here is the government gets to decide. They get to be the arbiter of truth. And it kind of creates the, leads into the social credit system that China has going on right now where it goes beyond the credit system we have right now as far as you pay your bills on time. And with the social credit system in particular, the government pretty much decides and looks into everything you do. They look into the products you purchased. Was it state approved, not state approved? And it wasn't state approved. Then they can go ahead and knock social credit points off you, which unfortunately what that ends up happening is the lower your social credit score, the harder the government will make your life, which that's one of the benefits of digital currency. It's easier to track versus if you pay in cash, you can't track that. And so if that's one of the dangers of digital currency, which don't get me wrong, I am I have money invested in cryptocurrency. I have money in Doge, Doge to the moon. Um, but <laughs> that's one of the dangers when the federal government wants to centralize banking, turn to everything digital and makes it easier for them to track. So you also have to question why are they so keen on making everything digital? Is it because it makes our lives more convenient or is there an ulterior motive? Which again, if they're going for the social credit system, what China has going on, China tracks everyone's transactions. And like I was saying earlier, if you purchase something or get something that the state does not deem acceptable, then it's going to knock points knocked off your social credit, which if you have a low social credit system in a country like China, for example, that'll make your life harder to say buy a home because the companies or the banks are going to look at your social credit score now and say, well, according to your credit score here, you've been deemed basically untrustworthy by the government, so you're not going to be able to buy this home. So as much as I like the idea of digital currency, I am skeptical as far as the intentions of going forth with digitalizing everything completely going cashless. I'll preempt this by saying that no love lost for the Democrats. You will not get me to defend the Democrats. And I yearn for the day when the tables are flipped, probably in the midterms right now, when I can come back and I can be the anti-government guy. That, that's that's going to be fun <laughs> when, when it happens. Um, right now, a lot of people in this country can buy homes, not because there's a fictitious social credit score right now, but because they either don't have enough capital, they don't have enough money, or private companies like Zillow keep buying all of the homes at ridiculous prices to just to sell them in the market three years later. This, I, I, I think many of these problems that y'all are saying that would happen like, oh no, they're not gonna let me buy 
three loaves of bread, they're only going to get me by two loaves of bread. Like a lot of these things that are happening right now, a lot of people go through it on the daily, not because a camera at Walmart from the government is telling you that's too many apples, don't buy enough apples, but simply because they don't have enough money to buy the food that they need. Like a lot of the situation that we're living in right now was, was not necessarily brought up solely by government saying like, we want to control your lives, but by companies saying we want, you know, as long as you are poor, as long as you are not well fed, as long as you are constrained to working for a living to even survive, then you will just be complacent. And again, I think it's important to note what I'm not saying here is that these problems don't exist. What I'm saying is that when the government intervenes like this, they take us down a path that makes it worse. And particularly when it comes to the idea of digital currency that is centralized by the bank. I'm not saying that that's inherently bad. What I'm saying is that it opens us up now when people are on there for the government to have the level of intervention that they're talking about. And it always comes under the guise of this is for your own good. This is for the greater good. And they gradually inches towards giving up more and more. It's, it is it is not that I am making transactions right now that are something that I am ashamed of. It's that the government should never have the authority to tell me that I cannot make this transaction within certain laws. So it's not at that point that they're even saying, ah, well, meat is illegal. But if they can, it is not a very far leap to say when they start saying that uh, meat consumption is contributing to harming the global hemisphere and is harming the world, global warming, that we then, you know, need to restrict beef to now you're doing your part moving in to they've now restricted it. If that's what they want, because they've justified it and said, here's the problem that we think is the issue. We're now going to restrict it so that everyone can do their part. And that opens us up to that when they have access to that. Again, I'm not saying that these are inherently bad. I'm not saying I'm for or against currency. I'm just pointing out that that is what we open ourselves up to when that's the case. And part to answer uh, Angela's question, it already it, it already does. Like you have a low credit score. And so even if somehow you came into the means of where you got the capital to make a down payment on a home, you can't do that because your credit score is not high enough. And generational wealth through the ownership of property is one of the most easy, you know, is one of the actual ways the American dream still exists, if it does exist at all. It's not even necessarily through gainful employment at long-term at a company. It's through the ownership of property to start generate some, you know, high-level value of assets. And the credit system completely locks people into that. And earnestly, when you have a bad credit score, so the creditors don't trust you, so then they charge you more interest. So when you do get a loan for a car, when you do have get a loan for a credit card because you're struggling to make ends meet anyways, that interest rate's higher and you're paying more. And even the prospect of being poor becomes more expensive and they're like bills increase because you are poor that would not exist because you know if you were rich there are several systems um, in our current economic and government structure uh, like that right now and a system like this of where they could track with even more control could very much more so implement a system like that to you know to the degree of what Ryan's looked like of if the government needs to do something about meat consumption, yeah, they could target like, you know, people's individual accounts and behaviors instead of forcing corporations to figure out more sustainable ways to do farming or reducing the number of animals they're allowed to have and then thereby just driving up the price of beef and making it a rare commodity that people have to make a market choice of whether or not it's worth the capital to spend on. Can so I interject we, something yeah. real quick on that? Yeah. So uh, again, and, and this is why before people say that, well, that's a conspiracy, the government would never do that. 
you can look at this from the government perspective or the corporate perspective. But when we talked about COP26 and they went and they talked about the global issues, did they talk about holding anybody accountable other than the people who are driving to work, right? The, the, the government tends to legislate the easier way, which is targeting the people. So they are yeah. far more likely to pass something that restricts our ability to consume meat than it is that they are to target corporations. And I think that's, it looks like we're all in agreement. I'm getting the thumbs up from Marcelo. So again, and as I'm showing, you know, these clips and things like that, I'm not saying that we're already here. I'm saying that when the government is pushing for these levels of control, this is what we're opening ourselves up to. I guess the solution for us then would just be, okay, then it's easy. We just vote in politicians who are not taking in money from corporations who are not corrupt. Well, good luck. <laughs> are willing to downsize their role and who also just happen to be good people. So, so yeah, Donald Trump? Just, just kidding. <laughs> so just get, you know, two or 300 of those in the highest seats of government and then we should be fine in 50 or 60 years. Because it, it's very, very unrealistic and it's very doomerish. But basically, you know, that obviously that would be the utopian solution. If we could just it would be utopian, there. yes. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're spot on, Marcelo. I do. Um, I think I can look at what they're they're proposing with the World Economic Forum and these policies, and if and, and we're not going to have time to get into all of them, obviously, but if you want every point analyzed by Ken and I over what is the manifesto, because there's like 17 points, go listen to that other one. It'll be linked. But what I can guarantee is that moving towards a more interconnected, but not just interconnected, interdependent global sphere means that we lose a lot of the nuance that we need for governments to look after the interests of their own people. So like when we are taking more of a UN approach, remember that Russia and China sit on the Human Rights Council and China is committing mass genocide against the Muslim Uyghur population. So of course they then veto any sanctions that we brought against them in that particular legislative thing. So when we're looking at a global thing, you have a lot more issues than just, ah, we are moving towards one united front. To me, it's just too idealistic for us to not get pinched as the American consumer because they don't look after our interests as the politicians. They go for power. Never underestimate a politician's ability to use a crisis for more power grab. I am very happy that the only two countries who violate human rights, Russia and China, are being I highlighted here because there's no way any Western power would be uh, would be you know guilty of, of war crimes and genocide. All right, let me open that up. Uh, the, the the nations that are committing <laughs> crimes in general, they they are just like YouTube, right? We had our YouTube video taken down, and who appeals that process? YouTube, like they're answering to themselves. So would that be a better statement, Marcelli's? <laughs> That's okay. Don't no worries. Okay, so I guess. We should probably kind of bring up some final thoughts before we move on to hot takes. I want to share this clip, not because I'm saying that our politicians are definitely moving us to socialism, because that's not what I'm saying. But just in case YouTube wants to say, ah, they're too conspiratorial, no one has said anything by this. I've got a clip here of a montage of basically the leaders of the free worlds talking about this concept. So let me let me pull that up real quick just to fight the algorithm here. It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? to build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're gonna build it back better and build it back better. It's my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education, mental health, and start to, to build back 
in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called The Great Reset. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build Back Better. Building Back Better, our economy. Build Back Better. All elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. It's a big effort to, some would say, to build back, back better. We would say to really have a great reset. Conspiracy, conspiracy. Conspiracy. Leave it to the audience. Uh, <laughs> conspiracy or not, uh, here's the deal. Something that you need to remember is that politicians, like I mentioned before, are never going to give back the power that they accumulate voluntarily. So be very careful as you go forward and vote and decide, you know, who you want to put in power where. Again, politicians across the board are not blameless. And again, corporations are not blameless. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to hot takes and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse. All right, I'll turn it over to Josh to get us started. One of the things I think we can all agree on here is that the large systems of government do not work in a way that are in particularly fond of or in favor or in the good of the common everyday citizen of the earth. We can see that statistically, we can see that in our wages, we can see that in our working conditions. And if anything, of whenever we're, you know, we're talking about conspiracies, because there is this need to push back against and figure out what we're doing, it's to make sure of when we're engaging in the process that we don't get drawn into things that we wouldn't want to be drawn into because this use of energy of societal and economic and cultural discomfort has been, been, been used to weaponize a lot of different things. And even to this extent, like the Build Back Better and this Great Reset has been realistically part of an ongoing aspect of like conspiracy that we've seen in the world. We can even see, I'm going to share my screen here, over on the Anti-Defamation League, that this Build Back Better being a part of the conspiracy for the Great Reset has already been something that's been noted. And the Anti-Defamation League is an organization of Jews who set to counter a lot of anti-Semitic conspiracies because a lot of conspiracies about the global elite, you know, people controlling Hollywood, the people doing things, comes back and ends up in these you know, very particular moments. And it's not even just, you know, this one time happens, this occasionally happens. This has been a continual trend of conspiracies to infect the criticism of when corporations take advantage of us. We'll hop over here to a quick Wikipedia page about cultural Bolshevikism. It started off as a criticism of the Nazi party, but Adolf Hitler, uh, we can see uh, down here, used it and turned it in the Mein Kampf and used that as a criticism against the idea of socialism and communism and used it to argue against the idea of why they should resist and be more anti-Semitic and engage in the policies like the final conclusion because they needed to prevent the spreading of cultural Bolshevikism in Germany to keep it safe and to keep it pure from the global conspiracy. And we might have even say it stops there and we could say, oh, it's just cultural Bolshevikism. But see, the problem when we're dealing with these conspiracies and we're dealing with the 
idea of criticizing it and doing it in a way that isn't harmful or doing it in a way that doesn't reinforce what they already want from us is it's really easy to fall into these historical traps and narratives that can really let us know the true underlying ideology of the opinion of a lot of these movements. Because we can see here, a famed philosopher, Jordan Peterson, has this interesting take of cultural Bolshevikism, of cultural Marxism, a conspiracy theory that Adolf Hitler coined in the Mein Kampf has now been given a quick rephrase and, and a redo and a rename to cultural Marxism and being spread and pushed by Jordan Peterson and a lot of other political um, advocates. There's been a lot of trends like this. And so powerful movements like to co-opt this angst. They love to co-opt the anger that the people use and turn it into something against them. If anything, I told you I would make Marxist of you one day. We've performed some great base superstructure analysis in today that the system in power will look to recreate the cultural conditions that keep it in power. They will look to create laws. They will look to create social conditions. They will look to create relations to the means of the production that reproduce people into thinking they're acting in their own best interest by supporting the politicians and supporting the system. The problem is that the governments are in the handbook of the corporations and the corporations do not care anything about making each other's rich. And realistically, the idea that there's a difference between the corporations and the politicians is perhaps the larger mistake that we're making when we look at this criticism. So if there's anything that I have to say of this is to you all is yes, there is a very small group of people working concertedly against the efforts of the mass liberation of the humans of, of this world across all of our different working conditions and in different our jobs and our answers of what do we do of the frustration of what do we do to we seem hopeless the answer to that my friends is workers of the world unite you have nothing to lose but your chains all right, so my first hot take is that the government is in favor of power. Corporations are in favor of power. So let's just combine those and make it the elites are in favor of power. And it is a logical fallacy, like I've mentioned in the past, to assume that giving the government officials more power or more time is suddenly going to make all of these issues disappear. Now, we've agreed that these issues within a capitalistic structure are problematic, but that doesn't automatically mean that a socialistic, globalistic perspective or, or approach is automatically going to change that. In fact, we could do a whole show where Josh and I just go back and forth talking about the, the pros and cons of each. That doesn't mean that you can just say, well, here's a problem. Therefore, we can just skip over to a socialistic, interconnected, globalistic society and those all go, go away. The government's in favor of power. Remember that when they ask you for more power under the guise of anything, especially equity in this case. Again, kind of going back to what Josh was just talking about, any idea or system can be twisted. Of course, that's true. Capitalism, we see it being twisted. That's why the role of government in that is to place specific guardrails to prevent that from taking place. It's why we don't have a truly unfettered capitalistic society where, you know, your boss can work you more than 40 hours a week, right? Like th there are certain guidelines that we have within our system that helps improve it. It doesn't mean that if you're in favor of those guidelines that you're suddenly in favor of quite as far as the government is now proposing we go. Restructuring the economic structures and just restructuring the world the way that the World Economic Forum is talking about makes us too interdependent. They, they start with this premise that we need more cultural integration. And like, sure, that's fine. I'm not opposed to that by any stretch of the imagination. Don't let my words be twisted to that. But when we become interdependent the way that the World Economic Forum is talking about, we have more dependency on other nations. And look how that's going with us on our dependency with Russian oil right now. It's, it, you don't want to be dependent. You want integration without the dependency. The government, again, is going to ask you to give them more power. 
for the good of the people, for the good of yourself, like they, they will use for the greater good as this tagline to get you to give them more power. And this can actually be pinpointed under the idea of the banality of evil. Uh, and it's this idea that each step towards authoritarianism can be justified by calling it the common good. Well, you know, we need to reduce the amount of carbon emissions. So do your part for the common good. Now give us the power to restrict that for people who are refusing to go towards the common good. Do you see now how they're eroding that in order to move towards more government control? And then as I wrap up my last hot take here, I do want to say that the term conspiracy theory is used rather loosely these days, especially when they're talking about uh, the World Economic Forum here, um, or they're talking about the Great Reset because they strawman it. And they say, well, this part's not true. Bill Gates is not injecting you with a microchip. And like, of course, that's not true. That doesn't mean that your president didn't just sign an executive order exploring the idea of a centralized federal banking system where they can manipulate the social currency or, or the, the uh, digital currency, rather, as they see fit. Be aware of the gaslighting that can take place by labeling things as conspiracy theories. I honestly thought that the compilation video where everyone said the same three words was really funny because that just means that they're really bad script writers and they're really, they, 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 I think it's actually hilarious that that, that could prove any, you know, like they, everyone in the world coming from meets, right? And they're like, all right, guys, next week we're going to go on TV and we're going to say the same three words so that nobody knows about our very secret plan to take over the world. I think this is this just shows that Build Back Better is really catchy. And, you know, sadly they didn't pass, but whatever, you know, that we will, it'll come back. I, I hope it will not come back. I really loved Kant's intervention in the middle of the show when you, you put it beautifully, when, when you said, you know, we let the companies do this, right? Because companies, when they grow and they got more powerful and then they start, you know, oppressing people in, in all of these ways. And it and like to my friends on the other side of the aisle, I would say, like, you complain about a lot of things that are happening in modern in current society, right? You 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 complain, you know, like the prices are high, that the companies are pressing, right? That I don't have enough money to eat, whatever. The, there's not enough jobs, and then you know, you you let the companies do this. You, like my brothers and sisters in Christ, the capitalism is the reason why we got here in the first place. Because you cannot just say like, oh, you know, I really liked Rockefeller when they just built uh, rails. You know, I really liked them when they had the train stuff. But then when they started like buying other companies, I really didn't like them anymore. I really liked Amazon when they sold books. But now that I'm basically forced to live next to a construction, you know, a few blocks down the road where they're like going to hire a thousand people are going to pay the minimum wage probably. Yeah, I don't like them anymore. The problem here was that they were not stopped in time. And I really want to live in a world where I believe that I can elect politicians that will stop these people. When the reality is that they're already embedded so deep within the government that they're already in both parties, which is why I hate to be put in a position where I have to defend the government that is standing right now, right here with us, is because I really don't fancy them that much either. And, you know, that's why I say I really yearn for the time when I'm able to go back to my anti-government position and, you know, go back to when Trump was president and not say that, you know, I hate him. I hope he doesn't win. I hope no Republican wins at all. I, I hope we win the midterms, whatever. But if we do lose them, I really want to sit at this table and come back to the same thing. It's like, okay, so what do we do now? What happened when you're, you know, what happened with the libertarian that you, <laughs> you, 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 you elected into office is now taking money from fossil fuel companies? What, what happens when they're taking subsidies from food companies that are, you know, starving people in the other side of the world? The final thing I'll say is that I 
think when people talk about that great reset, they talk about an opportunity that was lost. When COVID-19 happened and when the pandemic exploded, we realized that a lot of our systems were not good enough. Our healthcare was in shambles, not only here, but in the rest of the world. Our jobs were not secure. They were basically very like a very thin thread of many people working who just suddenly lost their jobs overnight. Uh, a lot of people who didn't have, who have barely enough food, didn't have any anymore. You had a lot of people, I think more than 3 billion people who suddenly their quality of life just plummeted completely. There was a chance for the Great Reset to happen in a way that would benefit everyone equally. There was a chance for us to come back and I'll say it, build back better with a better a better social safety net for this not to happen again, if it does happen again and it will happen again. But we didn't get that. And three years later, I think it was wasted because what we saw out of all of this is that those who had money, who had power, used it to coast through this. We used it to coast through it barely unscathed. And those who couldn't just fill out the wayside. So I would start off with my hot take that we pretty much agree the flaws of capitalism, the problems we've seen with capitalism. When it comes to solution, though, for me anyway, I think the solution is not so much government intervention. I think it's more of a spiritual thing. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, capitalism is only as good as people's moral compass. And that's why I was saying that the free will, like us, the consumers have the power to not give the give money to these corporations like companies like Amazon to where they don't have to have that much power. But at the end of the day, we did give them that much power because of our moral conscious, if you will. But um, with that said, though, it's not a conspiracy when it's publicly available information. Again, you can find a lot of this information on the World Economic Forum. And the, even on my article, like I've referenced pretty much everything's from the World Economic Forum. So that's one thing we have to take in consideration. I mean, the intentions are indisputable, but don't underestimate people's willingness and level of depravity to seize and maintain power. Now, Marcellus and Josh today, they're going to be on the side, you know, it's the corporations influencing the government. And Ryan and I, we're going to be more leaning on the side of it's the government influence these corporations. But regardless, though, this great reset just is really a global elite agenda where the little guy at our level, the working class, we're the ones to get the crap end of the stick. Watch my language. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, people like Bill Gates or Justin Trudeau or someone like maybe Mitch McConnell, for example, the elites, if you will, they're the ones who are going to benefit the most from this great reset, which they only care. They, they'll say things and say buzzwords to suggest they care about the little guy. But once they accomplish that certain goal, we're no longer useful to them. So they only care about our usefulness at that point. So you have to really... Be careful who do you trust and government officials and it gets into actually doing your research when it comes to general elections. Actually know who you're voting for and see, look at their track record and see if they lined up with your values, which my last point that I want to make with this hot take is that compared to the 20th century, where nationalism was used as a guise to accomplish this Marxist agenda, communist plot, if you will, now it's under the guise of globalism. And so history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. That's something you have to take into consideration as well, which at the end of the day, the solutions, at least if you ask me personally, I can't speak for Ryan, but at least me personally, I think the solutions really comes back to here in the heart and the uh, spiritual. So that's my hot take. All right. Well, we're going to see those of you who have the backstage pass here in a minute. But uh, remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. 
Follow us on our social media so you can stay updated. We don't have all the answers. I, I really enjoy that part of our show because at the end of this, we agree to disagree, but also we don't have the time to get through everything, so that's why you come back. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, go give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. You're going to have uh, the conversation between Ken and I linked in the descriptions here, so be sure to check those out if you got the time to. All right, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now.